Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everyone. My name is Jack Rico, and thank you for downloading episode 30 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. This is the show for those of you who love to have your finger on the pulse of U.S. Latino pop culture. On this week's episode, we talk with the creator of the most anticipated show in Spanish language TV right now, Univision's El Chapo. We get to the moral and ethical controversies of getting the show done, the fascination of cartel TV shows, and if actors Kate Del Castillo and Sean Penn will be making any cameos. Also, Urban Millennial Network Viceland has a new show called Jungle Town that takes place in Panama. Why are they there and why should we even care? I talked to Jimmy Stice, the man behind it all. That, plus highlights of the Premios Billboard reviews of Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and Broadway's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory musical, all on the Highly Relevant Podcast! With Mexican cartel drug lord Joaquin El Chapo Guzman in the headlines this week after Senator Ted Cruz asked for his $14 billion in drug money to be invested into building Donald Trump's wall along Mexico, Univision couldn't have timed the airing of their new original series El Chapo any better. Silvana Aguirre, creator, writer, and producer of the series, joins me now to discuss the show. Silvana, welcome to the Highly Relevant Podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. Silvana, who approached you about creating the series El Chapo? Was it Univision executives or was it you? And then you pitched it. No, it was Univision executives. Um, they had the idea. Um, the project has been on the making for at least three years now. And they had the idea of... Um, tackling this theme and this character, and then they invited me to the project. What was your initial reaction when they pitched this? Did you feel that you morally were up to the task, or did you have some internal struggles with ethics, moral, friends, family? Oh, God. I poof, I continue having moral struggles and internal struggles, of course. If you are going to you know, um, embark on something like this, um, you were a question a lot of things that why are you doing it what are you trying to say with the story and why would you you know take the project and um so for me the thing was i understood when they asked me to join the project i understood that they wanted to talk about a newsworthy character that was very relevant to the latino audiences you know around the world and um and for me personally it was um Like, talking about this character uh, gave me the possibility of talking about a wider view of a very complex world, that is the drug trade world, and talk about some things that a lot of people kind of know, but it hasn't been portrayed yet um, on the shows, at least in, in Latin America, in, in these kind of shows, that is like the corruption, um, 
on the government and also even the DEA involvement sometimes that allows a character like El Chapo to arrive, you know, and to like uh, have a very long um, career to, to, I mean, to say something, I don't know how to put what he does, but um, so for me, it was trying to give a, a bigger perspective of of that kind of world, a window into that, you know? Um, so it was more about that than just talking about this. But what about the Mexican actors like Humberto Busto, uh, who had ethical rules to not participate in shows about drug cartels? How did you get them to break that? And, and was Marco de la O, the lead actor who does El Chapo, was he also one of them? Yeah, I mean, everybody, I think, cast and crew that have um, decided to join the project, they have had their own, you know, personal concerns. And um, just, they, I mean, nobody jumped into this project without thinking about it, I think. And um, about Umberto in particular, I think he was, I mean, he's a very, very thoughtful person. I think everybody involved in this project, they're not, they're not people that are taking this, you know, in a light way. They are really thinking about what we're saying. And uh, I think it was the script, to be honest. I mean, when they read the script and they understood what we're trying to do with it, then they wanted to join. So that was um, that was encouraging, you know, because then the story was coming through in a way that um, we were managing to tell something like wider and and also keeping the balance with the protagonist, um, trying to portray him. Like one journalist said it really well. Um, she said, "You, I mean, it, it. You see a human being, but it's never normalized. You know, his right. behavior." Is not normal and it shouldn't be normalized. And we are always trying to balance, you know, this thing about, of course, you will root for him sometimes because it's, it's very difficult not to do it with when he's the protagonist of the series. But the next moment, you should be feeling really concerned. Why are you rooting for this guy? Because we are trying to make the audience feel uncomfortable a lot of the time, so you remember um, just the whole aspect of it. Right, so well, that brings me also to the point of glorification. Now, I've asked Rafael Amaya, who is the lead actor uh, in Telemundo's El Señor de los Cielos, the same question, and it's interesting how 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 they somehow wrestle with that. Uh, this is a drug cartel show about a man who is the, one of the biggest drug lords of our generation after Pablo Escobar. Uh, there's movies being made about him. There's TV shows being made about him. Uh, and it's directed towards the Latin community. So the question is, are you glorifying this or is this some sort of informational, educational uh, entertainment? H how do you label this? I label it like uh, the information side. You know, I think these are facts that have happened. You know, we are basing the, the series on the, um, on the news that have been reported. We work really close, uh, really closely with the Univision investigative team, with Gerardo Reyes and his team, and also we worked on a daily basis on the writer's room with Alejandro Almazan, which is a Mexican journalist who has um, lots of experience uh, about the drug world in Mexico. Um, so for us, it was, you know, all about telling a story that the story of El Chapo is intertwined and embedded in Mexican history for the past 30 years at least, you know. So 
we were very keen on that, the telling facts, telling... Of course, you have to fictionalize sometimes on top of those events, but we... I, I mean, I, I really, really hope we are not glorifying um, a type of character. We are just trying to tell a story that is... I mean, it has happened. It has affected lots of people, you know? I think... I mean, for me, the key thing is if the audience is patient, you know, and you see... I, I am sure if you see the three seasons, you will get a, right. like a complex world and you will get different points of views of the same things. You know, it's not only about them all the time. Right. It's just the way it develops. On the season one, it's all about him trying to, you know, gain some power inside the drug cartel he works in. So it's, it's really, I mean, closed, right? But then second season opens. Uh, on the um, uh, Guerra contra el Narco that is famous in Mexico, mm-hmm. well, infamous because it was terrible. So it it keeps growing and showing more points of view. So I think, I think, I mean, if you see the series, then I I, I think you will get a a really good idea of what we are trying to achieve. But Silvana, why not do a documentary? If you're using all the journalists and you somehow remove yourself from the entertainment aspects of it. Um, were there any talks about doing the definitive El Chapo documentary uh, brought to you by Univision Fusion, uh, Univision journalists, and, and yourself? Why do a scripted entertainment? I think there's two reasons. One is, well, the, when they approached me, they, uh, I mean, the, the, um, the offer was to do a fiction series, right? It was never to do a documentary. I think it's one because, I mean, Univision has reported and done several documentaries as well. Gerardo Reyes and his team have done several documentaries about El Capo Guzman. And, um, and I think what the fiction allows you to do is sometimes as a journalist, you cannot talk about certain things that you, you know, like you have to, I don't know, have complete certain proof and everything to be able to say those things. And in the fiction world, you can approach those things. Like, for example, there were some events that are historic events, but you had, like, three theories about it, you know, three versions of it. And uh, what fiction does is it allows you to make sense of them and just, you know, show sometimes something that everybody talks about and everybody says, like, oh, yeah, we know it was this way, but nobody can prove, and... You cannot do that on a documentary. You can do it. In and that's where they po- that is where the liberties are being taken, the creative liberties to kind of just be able to enhance those moments that maybe are gaps within the history timeline. Now, let me ask you about Marco de la O. Uh, he plays El Chapo. What were the factors that convinced you uh, that he was the man to play El Chapo? Um, first of all, we were uh, interested in casting an actor that was not that well known on the TV world, you know, because we wanted him to be like when you saw him you would believe you would you were seeing the character right and not the famous actor playing the character so that was one thing and then the other thing was like we did a a, a very big cast and um, Alejandro Reza was the the guy make well, he's still doing the casting in Mexico and um when we saw Marco I mean it's it's funny because I didn't realize he was really similar looking until after we cast him, you know. Um, it was just this thing about him that I, I wanted to keep watching him. 
that was the main thing for me. I mean, he's a very um, talented actor, and he has plenty of experience in theater and some in cinema, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just thought, because of his background, he was going to approach the character from a also, you know, deeper level as well, that he, the way he was going to build the character was going to be very consensual. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I thought that was going to help. Do you think El Champo is a good man or a bad man? <laughs> I, listen, I don't think I am no one to say anything about anybody like that. I think um, he is a person that, uh, I mean, it depends on who you ask. No, well, the, the reason I ask is because well, the reason I ask is because there's this ongoing fascination with drug lords on Spanish language television. It just feels like every novella or every soap right. opera or every series that comes out has to be this because it's what the viewers want. Uh, it started with La Reina del Sur, uh, Colombia's production of Pablo Escobar, El Señor de los Cielos. Do you think that viewers, our Latino viewers, want? to root for him or want to be him somehow? No, I think people are interested in the stories. Like, it's, I mean, it's not always the drug laws. Like, like, it has happened with, like, Italian mafia, no? Like, Scorsese movies. And uh, it has happened even, like, before, no? Lots of stories from, like, Shakespeare or whatever are about dark characters, right? I mm-hmm. think what interests the audience is those kind of lives that, like, 90% of us Right, live a like kind of normal life. Like you, you work, you go home, you know, you turn on your TV, and you're suddenly interested in watching people living things that you hopefully and gratefully will never experience right. in real life. You know, if you're just seeing it as a window to a world that is, I mean, again, hopefully far away from you um, as much as possible. And um, I think it's. Because it also talks about, Umberto said it really nicely the other day, and um, it's about, you know, I mean, humans, we do have a dark side as well, right? Mm-hmm. And um, when you see these kind of characters, I think also you kind of reflect on, like, your inner corrupt politicians. Like, his character is a corrupt politician, but it's kind of the same, you know, ambitious, driven uh, character like El Chapo on the other side. So you kind of reflect on your own inner corrupt politician or your own inner, um, you know, your criminal, own inner like Machiavelli, right? Far, <laughs> yeah, exactly. How far would you go uh, for ambition and power, you know? And also, by the end of everything, hopefully, what you will get if you see the whole series is like, what is it for, you know? Right. Why are you, I mean, it's not an easy life. It's terrible what you do is terrible you lose yourself you lose your soul um you lose family uh what is it worth it really you know why why would you do this two more questions because of the timeline of how this happened uh, obviously may 5th he's being uh he, he's ha- he's having another hearing here in uh, new york city on may 5th uh, but the timeline of the jeopardy right before he got captured kate del castillo and sean penn were involved I wanted to know how you're going to be handling that portion of the chronicling of the story. Will Kate Del Castillo actually appear in the show? Has Sean Penn been asked to appear? Or will there be an actor? Like, how are you approaching all this? Well, that's third season, and we haven't got, gotten yet um, there yet. Is it something um, you've been thinking about? That's one bit that is actually very delicate. Well, to you know, I think we are telling his story, so as long as 
this um, moment, right, with Kate Del Castillo and Champagne is relevant to the story we are telling about him, um, then we will touch it. But it's not, I mean, I'm like, I'm not personally interested in, like, in the soap opera that was created around that, you mm-hmm. know? Like, I think um, we are telling the story, like, the, the story of this niche, right? We are portraying, we're interested in telling the story of the niche of El Chapo Guzman, not even, like, his person per se, but the, this, this character that was created uh, throughout the years with his escape and all these things. And and if that's relevant for that area, then we will go uh, and touch that. And if whatever is not relevant for that, then... I'd love to, to see it, and I'm sure a lot of viewers would be very interested to see how you uh, how you uh, handle handle that uh, that aspect of the, of the, the timeline. Uh, and my last question is: uh, Hollywood's doing Hunting El Chapo, which is based on a book, and Michael Bay is in talks to direct it. Uh, Fox is doing The Cartel uh, from director Ridley Scott. The History Channel announced recently a drama series that they're developing about Guzman called uh, Hashtag Cartel. Uh, why do you think that Latinos? are not being chosen to direct these Chapo movies. They're not being asked to be involved on the high levels of, uh, <laughs> um, of filmmaking. Well, I don't know how they're going to approach the story. Like, I, I don't know if, for example, they're going to approach it from the... I think one of them is through the DEA, a DEA agent's point of view or something. So I don't know if they're going to portray more the um, United States side of it. I don't know. I think, I think there's plenty of talent in the Latin world, you know, like there are filmmakers that are really, really talented and they will be completely up for the challenge. Uh, you would have to ask that to the producers actually in Hollywood. I have no idea. Um, I think, of course, a Mexican director, like we're working with Mexican directors. Um, we are putting most of our head of departments are Mexicans, of course. Um, lead characters are Mexicans because and of, and also the writers room with you know like uh, we, we we had a lot of writers, a lead writer and co creator of the series is Carlos Contreras, which is Mexican. Um, because I think of course you can learn about the story and you have to make do your work, you know, but leave, having lived I mean people in this team have lived this story in their own personal life. Like my producer has been raised in Mexico he was born in Colombia, and he actually had to leave Colombia because the drug cartels were going to kidnap him. So it's not foreign, you know, to a lot of team members. And I think the authenticity of those life experiences is just amazing, and, and it just brings something to the project that I think it would be really cool if, if they use it, you know, like also the... Absolutely. The that are being done. Yeah. You can watch El Chapo with back-to-back episodes every Sunday at 8 p.m. on Univision. Silvana, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you. It's time for Jack Dick. Let's begin with the top movie news of the week. Universal Pictures is doing a Madonna pick, and Madonna's upset they're doing it without her consent. Horror director M. Night Shyamalan is planning an Unbreakable and Split sequel combined. TriStar Studios is in talks to do a biopic about WWE chairman Vince McMahon and director Jonathan Demme passed away this week. Changing to the small screen, Netflix is renewing two shows for season two, Ingobernable starring Kate Del Castillo and teen suicide show 13 Reasons Why by Selena Gomez. Season two of one of the best 
Spanish shows on Netflix, Mar de Plástico is streaming now. YouTube has greenlit Ryan Seacrest's new music competition series based on cover songs. DC Entertainment is planning a Netflix-type platform for their new superhero shows. And ESPN has laid off 100 employees. In music news, Beyonce's Lemonade is named world's best-selling album of 2016. Katy Perry will be performing on SNL May 20th with host The Rock. Drake will host the 2017 NBA Awards. Harry Styles will perform for a full week on the James Corden's Late Late Show. And if you missed the Latin billboards, the two highlights of the night were Luis Fonsi and Daddy Yankee singing Despacito, sans Justin Bieber, and Jennifer Lopez debuting a new Spanish single called Mirate, releasing later this summer. Have a listen. And in tech and social media news, Argentine Pope Francis gave a TED Talk this week. A TED Talk this week. It's the first time a Pope has ever done it. USA Today reports women, blacks, and Hispanics are leaving tech because of racial harassments. Obama thinks we should be more careful with our selfies. And Spotify is planning to make podcasts more relevant by creating documentary podcasts. Oh, and before we forget, congrats to the following Hispanics for being included in Time Magazine's prestigious Time 100 list. Pope Francis, singer Demi Lovato, soccer player Neymar, President of Colombia Juan Manuel Santos, and Democratic leader Tom Perez, amongst the other notables. Felicitaciones a todos! You guys have heard of Vice News, right? Well, Viceland is the television extension of the site, and they have a new 10-part documentary series about South America's Panama called Jungle Town. Its creator is Jimmy Stice, and it centers around a group of young millennials who pay $5,000 each to serve as interns in the jungles of Panama and learn how to create a sustainable ecological town. We're building a town to look for the best ways we can live in terms of compassionately treating each other in a global community. Access to food, access to healthcare, access to socioeconomic mobility that's actually beneficial to the environment. Jimmy, welcome to the Highly Relevant Podcast. Thank you for having me. Jimmy, you begin the first episode saying you can't call your life beautiful if it's making other people's lives ugly. Uh-huh. Is that the basis for why you felt the need to do this docu-series? This is for why I wanted to do the docu-series was just to have a third party like like Andy Timoner and like Vice looking at what we're doing and, and getting that third party perspective. It's just almost you you also have trouble looking yourself in the mirror and judging what you're doing accurately uh in in life so i think i think having a, a two-time sundance winner and a network that that is really willing to to get down and dirty with subject matters is what made me excited about the docuseries take me through the description of jungle town sure uh well i mean so what i'm trying to do is to build a sustainable and socially responsible town in the middle of a cow field in the jungles of panama and what that means right now is that we bring 18 to 25 year old students, which 18 to 25 year olds are the pioneers who built most of the 1.5 million cities and towns around the world. Uh, we bring them into the jungle and they camp there and they study biology, they study agriculture, they study culinary, they work in the public schools to tell us how to fulfill those social and environmental missions. Uh, and it, it, you know, for us, it, it's, it's some pretty hard living out there in the jungle. That's why 18 to 25 year olds do it. The research they do is phenomenal. They're completely mission-oriented. They don't give a shit about our profits uh, or, or our investors. They only care about mission, which is excellent. Um, and and it's it's rough out there. And what we didn't realize was, uh, you know, 18 to 25-year-olds stuck in a jungle 
uh, trying to build a town is actually it's kind of some good subject matter, I guess. We thought we were trying to, but we, we didn't realize the entertainment value we were creating when we did it. Why South America's Panama? Um, you know, I, I think that the developing world, you're, you're seeing the rise of the middle class in the developing world. You're seeing the fact that it hasn't been totally developed yet. So there is a chance to, to take it in a positive direction instead of an exploitive direction. Um, and Panama is, is, is kind of this amazing little New York of Latin America, this hub of the world where you've got the second largest duty free zone in Hong Kong. You've got 5% of all shipping traffic for goods coming, uh, between countries. It's this international hub, uh, that happens to also have one of the world's 20 biological hotspots. It all happens to also have all of these different ecosystems, uh, from mountains to the Caribbean to the Pacific. So it's just a really unique place. And I think that also something that's very unique because of those attributes is you have more influence per capita in Panama mm-hmm. than anywhere else in the world. Now, out of the interns, out of the, uh, cast and crew that's there, uh, how many of them are Latinos? Uh, and did you ever leave the premises to go into the city, into Panama City? Yeah, I'm I'm actually only at Kalayala about four days a week, three nights, usually Monday through Thursday. I usually try and do some phone calls Monday morning and on Friday in the city to do business. Um, and so that's how often I'm there. The uh, Latino population at Kalayala, since it's a study abroad program, most people don't study abroad in their own country. Mm-hmm. So even though we have people from Mexico, people from Argentina that are on the show, uh, you see a largely North American Canadian audience in our study abroad group. Uh, you know, in terms of our, our staff, uh, we're pretty close to a 50 50 ratio uh, in terms of uh, Latinos who are working for us. But some of them are also from Colombia and other countries, Venezuela. What exactly do you believe in as a person and that, that's taking you all the way down to create Kuluyala? I, I, you know, I, I believe in social capitalism. I believe in the fact that we each create the world that we end up inhabiting. Uh, and I think that we need to realize that in order to be able to feel empowered to create it. Uh, so what, what I, what the reason I'm creating Kaliala is to show that human beings can be stewards to the earth and to each other, and that we can also pay our bills, raise our kids, have whatever lives we want to live while being inclusive to others, creating social equality and uh, actually regenerating environments that are already damaged and preserving environments that, that are still pristine. Jimmy, where do these ideas come from, man, from you? Uh, is it your parents? Was it school? Was it an experience that you went through? I mean, I do not know people like you. Really? Really, I feel like I feel like we're I feel like we're we're kind of getting we're getting to the more of a dime a dozen state, you know, little by little. No, no, uh, I, you, I happen to think that's your inner circle. That that's probably the people that you surround yourself around. And and, and but but there's other people who they might think like that. Uh, they come up with ideas, but the actual essence of executing on those ideas and and being so selfless and altruistic in doing something like you've done, like. I'm looking at the show and I'm I'm astounded that people like this exist. And so, well, well let's not call it selfless and altru- selfless and altruistic. I mean, there, uh, it's like I I wanted to build a town that I wanted to live in. That's a very selfish motivation. And when I started thinking about where I wanted to live, I wanted it to be beautiful. I wanted it to be socially responsible. I wanted, to, and I got stuck trying to do this crazy thing. Uh, that, 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 that for, for it to, to, to say this is an ideal town where I would ideally like to live, which is a selfish motivation, it turned out that I needed to do a lot of work uh, to help other people. 
Uh, and so, so I, I, I would start out by saying so it's one definitely hand not watches the other, right? Yeah, a little bit. You know, I think, I think, I think, like doing good is is a very selfish thing to do. Uh, I think, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean. <laughs> well, where do these ideas come from? From you, where, where did you pick? Well, this I mean, up? I think. So my, so I mean, my my dad kind of came up from nothing. You know, was born in a nine hundred square foot house in Kirkwood, Missouri. And worked his butt off and, and ended up being very successful and, and just raised me kind of questioning our, our education system, questioning, uh, corporate loyalty and, and whether you should try to get a job at a corporation because he doesn't think that they're necessarily always looking out for, for their well-being and, uh, of their employees long term. And, and just saying, Hey, entrepreneurship lets you, it's harder, but it lets you call your, create your own path. And Jimmy, you've got to pay your bills, but more important, but once you can figure out how to pay your bills, figure out how to make yourself happy. And if you can make yourself happy and make the world a better place while paying your bills, then that's really when you've got life dialed. And so he kind of challenged me to see, can you have a career that is satisfying to yourself uh, and uh, if possible, makes other people's lives better. What are the serious issues that are being addressed in this series? I know that this, to a certain extent, is is also part of entertainment and uh, education as well. But what exactly is are the issues that you want people to take away after watching this ten part docu series? I think the biggest issue is that idealism is hard. Uh, that it's that it's not all pretty and easy. Um, I think, for instance, like on that question you just asked, like. Uh, my number one agenda for 2018 that we're getting, that we're gearing up to is, is increasing diversity at Kaliala. Uh, so just, you know, inclusive pricing, inclusive, inclusive product doesn't mean that you're going to lead to diversity. Uh, so I think, you know, figuring out what does this global world look like in terms of diversity is a really hard question. I think, you know, episode four is all about, uh, where does your food come from? Uh, should you, should you eat meat or is it not ethical to eat meat? Uh, whether it's for global warming, or for animal rights. Uh, so we're, we're trying to tackle, we're, we're, we really are out there fighting to build this socially and environmentally just world. And that's a lot harder to do than to say. And I think the show captures that. What do Panamanians think of you guys being there? Uh, is there any criticism uh, from any angle? And how are you How are you handling that? I'm sure there's criticism, but in, I mean, in general, we're pretty popular. I mean, I think when we showed up, we were kind of, Panamanians are used to foreigners coming, trying to do something, and then kind of going home with their tail between their legs or, or getting burned out. Uh, so now that we've been there for eight years, you know, we drink beers in the, in the bar with the guys. Some of our folks go to church uh, with, with folks in town. Uh, we work together. Uh, we, you know, we, we get involved and support uh, local political issues. We teach in the schools, uh, both during school as assistant teachers, and we run all the after-school programming in San Miguel. So and right now we're just neighbors, uh, and so I mean we might be we're, we're definitely the weird neighbors, but 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 I think everyone sees that we've got good intentions and that we're doing stuff to to take care of their community because we want to be be part of it. Uh, and last question, Jimmy, are there any more plans to do projects like this in Latin America? Uh, do you want to go to Chile, we're, Uruguay, we're, Colombia? Right, right now we're we're already talking about doing it again in Panama uh, at at the beach, actually about four hours from downtown. We're looking at Honduras. It's very interesting to us. Uh, there's some really interesting things happening there uh, that make it kind of uh, something that's irresistible to us. And then we're also looking at, at coming back to the United States. Uh, you know, as people say, why is an American down there? And I say, oh, you know, you're right. Like West Virginia obviously like needs economic development, uh, needs uh, 
needs people to see that we can we can make we can do better for ourselves and our families by doing and better. And redevelop communities as well. Yeah. Yeah, so that's we're we're excited about coming back to the United States as well. Like we're not we're trying. If the idea works, if the numbers say this makes financial sense, this is good for the environment, this is good for the human beings involved and those being impacted by it, then it's my goal to scale it as much as I can. Jimmy, thank you so much. The name of the show is Jungle Town, and you can see it right now on Viceland. Thanks for being on the podcast, Jimmy. I appreciate the heck out of the out of the opportunity. Thank you for having me. So, I'm assuming you just need to know if Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is better than the original, right? Well, no. The answer is no. It is not better than the original, but it is one hell of a fun ride, especially towards the second half. Garden of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy. Why would we be the Gardens of the Galaxy? (laughs) In this comedic sci-fi opera, Chris Pratt's character Peter Quill meets his father, played by Kurt Russell. But he soon discovers that not all fathers are loving. After all these years, I've found you. And who the hell are you? I'm your dad, Peter. In Guardians of the Galaxy 2, you pretty much get everything from Volume 1. But this time around, supporting characters get more screen time. There's a small but misplaced cameo of Sylvester Stallone. And the 3D effects are some of the very best my eyes have seen. This is a fun, fun movie that is everything you want in a summer movie. And before we move on to a review of Broadway's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory musical, here's the three most listened to songs on the Billboard charts right now. That's what I like, Bruno Mars. Shape of You, Ed Sheeran. And the number one song in America, Humble from Kendrick Lamar. Seeped in the rich memories of Roald Dahl's 1964 children's book and music from Gene Wilder's cinematic classic Willy Wonka, this new Broadway musical manages to deliver good moments of enjoyment for the whole family. Amongst the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory highlights are the lovable and memorable characters, the timeless songs such as The Candyman and Pure Imagination, plus some clever and imaginative sequences. What is perhaps its only flaw is the lackluster stage design. The vivid and colorful universe of the book and film felt undersized and even cheap, a true crime that producers couldn't translate its magic to the stage. Nevertheless, there's a warmth and heart to the story and performances with uproarious yet uncomfortable comedy bits worth several hearty laughs and squirms. If you love chocolate and you love Willy Wonka, then you'll enjoy Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. See it now on Broadway's Lunfantan Theater. That's why I brought you to see the view from here. And that's a wrap for our 30th episode of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I'd like to thank Silvana Aguirre and Jimmy Stice for coming on the show. And I want to thank you guys, as always, for listening. 
If you want to get a shout out from us, tweet me at Jack Rico Official. That's me on Twitter at Jack Rico Official. We're now also on the Revolver Podcast Network, which means you can hear us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, uh, and Stitcher. Also, please subscribe and share with your friends. It really helps us out. Again, see you next Friday on another episode of Highly Relevant. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.